From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. Well, will you look at this place? Can you believe this is even the same place? Around the world is broadcasting this hour from Elmwood's Music Box Cafe, where I guess customers are being asked to pair their gourmet meals with a wide array of appropriate music box selections. You'll recall that Elmwood lost his liquor license due to a preponderance of barroom brawls and decided to retool his old tavern in a more genteel framework. Then while uh, visiting a neighboring diner that had those miniature booth-side jukeboxes, he hit on the idea of offering his customers a music box menu instead of a wine menu. Thus the rustic roost, closed by the authorities, has reopened as Elmwood's Music Box Cafe. I see the inventory of pickled eggs, which previously sold for 50 cents a piece, are now found in the canapé menu with a few sprigs of arugula for $5.50. So let's review a few of the other delectable items on Elmwood's new bill of fare, which will be pairing with his personal collection of historical music boxes, flute clocks, player piano rolls, and I see there's a jukebox in the corner exclusively stocked with songs about music boxes. I think we can start with the invasive green crab mac and beer cheese, and we'll put a nickel in the jukebox for Lee Johnson with Johnny Johnson and his orchestra and their 1937 little old-fashioned music box. Thank you. 
That was an old cylinder style music box from 1823. It has a comb of tuned metal bars and the cylinder has pins that pluck the bars as it rotates around. Before that we heard the little old-fashioned music box sung by Lee Johnson accompanied by Johnny Johnson in his orchestra in 1937. We're broadcasting today from Elmwood's Music Box Cafe. Each delectable menu item is served up with your choice of a music box, clock, player piano, or a carefully curated jukebox selection. I see Elmwood has been gathering up the squished apples from the side of the road. He's offering a wild crabapple stuffed cabbage special. Let's pair that with the Harry A. Yerkes Dance Orchestra from 1920, The Music Box Song.
that was a player piano. In about 1924, they sat George Gershwin down in front of a mechanical reproducing piano and recorded a piano roll of his own interpretation of his song, Make Believe. Then the staff at Elmwood's here played it back for us. Before that, we heard the 1920 Music Box song performed by Harry A. Yerkes Dance Orchestra. And what we're hearing now is a musical clock from the 1820s. Well, I have to say, Elmwood has come a long way from his scary-looking tavern, where numerous fistfights broke out, leading the authorities to close down the smoke-filled rooms. The loss of his liquor license led him to retool his establishment in a more genteel vein. Gone is the beer-soaked indoor-outdoor carpeting, and the taxidermied animal heads have been relegated to his nephew's bachelor pad. Instead, now the whole family is welcome to sample the Epicurean fare. If you can afford the new improved prices, that is. Get a load of this. A bowl of oatmeal for ten bucks! Though they do serve it with an 1815 musical silver snuff box filled with ground flaxseed. Let's hear what it sounds like.
That was the Joe Green Orchestra in 1935, The Cradle and the Music Box. Before that, a musical silver snuff box from 1815. Those musical snuff boxes were quite a luxury item when they came out. Russian composer Anatoly Lyadov wrote a musical tribute to them in 1893, and here is a 1924 recording of the piece recorded by pianist Leopold Godowski, a musical snuff box. Thank you. 
Two versions of a musical snuffbox composed by Anatoly Lyadov. We just heard the 1923 recording of the piece by the Victor Woodwind Ensemble and started with Leopold Godowski on the piano in 1924. You are tuned to WSHDLP Eastport. Round the World is broadcasting today from Elmwood's Music Box Cafe, where each gastronomic masterpiece on the menu may be paired with a small masterwork of engineering, an antique music box, flute clock, or player piano. Now let's have a look here. The um, sardines with pickled red onions is making my mouth water. We'll pair that with a musical automaton from 1786, which plays a tune while a ship bobs up and down in rolling waves. Thank you. 
That was the Victor Military Band in 1914 playing Music Box Rag by Lucky Roberts. We're at Elmwood's Music Box Cafe, which used to be the rustic roost, scene of knife fights and career alcoholism. And apparently in the course of the cleanup, a forgotten wheel of cheese was found behind some old casks in the basement. Thus the new menu item, green cheese with seasonal fruit. We'll pair that with that old jukebox song, There's a Music Box in the Moon, featuring the Sun Maids with Artie Dunn and the Three Sons from 1948. It's a pretty tune, and it's from the
dear listeners, was Jelly Roll Morton himself, who created a piano roll of his Jelly Roll Blues in 1924 so we could play it back on a real live piano. Before that, we heard The Sun Maids and Artie Dunn with The Three Sons from 1948. There's a music box in the moon. By golly, here's a musical automaton clock from 1625. The clock mechanism also runs a bellows that plays a miniature organ and a tiny spinet harpsichord, while costume dancers twirl and prance around. Now speaking of compositions about music boxes, we turn next to early 20th century French composer Deodat de Severac, who wrote a piece called An Old Music Box. But the exciting thing is, who is going to play it? Harpist Mildred Dilling. You mean you haven't heard of Mildred Dilling? Harp teacher to none other than Harpo Marx and Bob Hope? owner of 124 harps? Here is her 1947 recording of An Old Music Box by Deodat de Severac. Thank you. 
That was a piano roll created by Fats Waller, 18th Street Strut, and played back here at Elmwood's Music Box Cafe. This was preceded by a recording of master harpist Mildred Dilling, an old music box by Deoda de Severac. And Mildred has another music box composition coming up. But first, let's order our next course, Low Tide Seafood Paella. And to accompany that luscious repast, we'll hear something from the pianola, which was invented in the 1890s and is a type of pneumatic music apparatus you wheel up to your piano and it plays the piano using mechanized dowels. Here is Ragtime Oriole by James Scott, played by the pianola. Thank you. 
Mildred Dilling once again with another Music Box-inspired piece. She played for five presidents and taught harp to Harpo Marx, Bob Hope, and Sir Lawrence Olivier. And before that, we heard a Pianola Ragtime Oriole by James Scott. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane here at Elmwood's Music Box Cafe, the old rustic roost tavern which has been gentrified into a family-friendly gastronomic hotspot. Elmwood lost his liquor license, so has replaced his wine list with a music box list to enhance your dining experience. Let's have a salad next, some honey mustard dandelion greens, and we'll pair that with a player piano, which is a self-playing piano that uses a paper roll perforated with holes to tell which notes to play. This was a way to replicate someone's piano playing before the phonograph. Here's a piano roll of Yubi Blake playing his Fare Thee Honey Blues.
about Saturday night. Goodman and Kaiser and Miller help to make things bright. Make some hot flakes of vanilla, jukebox Saturday night. They put nothing faster. Me and Honey Land. Making one coat last us till it's time to scrap. Money, we really don't need that. We'll make out all right. Let me out the guy feed that jukebox Saturday night. After sipping a soda, we got a scheme. Somebody else plays the record machine. It's so easy to say pet names when you listen to the trumpet of Harry James. Box Saturday Night. That was Paula Kelly and the 1946 Modern Airs with the Mitchell Ayers Orchestra. This was preceded by Fair the Honey Blues, which was pre-recorded on a piano roll by Yubi Blake in 1921. And this music box here is from 1785. It has an automaton dancer jumping up and down on a slack rope. And I don't know about you, but I'm stuffed and could use a nap. I think we'll wind up with just a wafer-thin mint. And here's another piano roll, this one featuring James P. Johnson. Make me a pallet on the floor. Thank you. 
What we're hearing now is a mass-produced music box with interchangeable discs from the 1880s. The concept of interchangeable discs, which allowed a music box to play a wide variety of tunes, instead of just being programmed to play a few tunes at most, was probably the inspiration for the flat phonograph record, which was first marketed in 1903. Are the police raiding? Is Elmwood's being raided again? You know, the cops are so used to raiding this place on a regular basis that they don't even realize that there's nothing nefarious going on anymore. being ushered outside. Well, that wraps up our fact-finding mission into the metamorphosis of the rustic roost into Elmwood's Gourmet Music Box Cafe. Elmwood has leveraged quite a bit of his old tavern inventory into upscaled menu items by pairing them with a music box listening experience. We heard old flute clocks, musical snuff boxes, player piano rolls, and tons of good songs about music boxes on the carefully curated jukebox. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. Now for dessert, we have a special treat. A 1943 World War II broadcast from Dow Field in Bangor, Maine featuring Jack Benny. Now, just a little warning, as some of the humor might be considered in bad taste by today's standards, but we left it in there just for historical purposes. So, let's listen. The Grape Nuts Flakes program, coming to you from Bangor, Maine, where we are broadcasting for pilots and ground crew of Dow Field, and starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Rochester, yours truly, Don Wilson, and our guest conductor, Abe Lyman. played by the orchestra. Now, ladies and gentlemen, from the Bangor Opera House in Bangor, Maine, we bring you a comedian you'll get, get a, a big bang, bang out of, Jack, Jack Benny. Benny. 
Thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking. And Don, I could see that introduction coming a mile away. That's a pretty corny build-up to give me in front of all these boys from Dow Field. That's right, Jack. The old opera house is packed to the rafters. Imagine all these soldiers turning out to see us on a cold night like this. Oh, I don't think it's so very cold up here. Why, I'm as warm as toast myself. Why not? You got more fat on you than a 10-cent pork chop. Listen. No kidding. Now, wait a minute, Jack. I'm not so fat. Oh, no? I wish I had a nickel for every time your girdle had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and don't tell me it isn't cold here. I slept under 12 blankets last night. I felt like the bottom wheat cake. <laughs> you know, Don, weather like this... Come in. Mr. Benny? Yes? On behalf of the fishermen of Penobscot Bay, I'd like to present you with this real live lobster. Well, thanks very much. I'll have him for dinner. Oh, he's had dinner. Why don't you take him to a movie? <laughs> Isn't that sweet? A live lobster. Everybody's so nice up here. You know, Don, I'll never forget that reception at the station when we arrived. They had tanks and jeeps and sleighs, soldiers, Indians... You know, a real Indian drove me from the station to my hotel. Are you sure he was a real Indian? I think so. When he left, he had my toupee hanging from his belt. <laughs> and I bought it just for this cold weather. Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Hi, fellas. Well, Mary, here we are in Bangor. The easternmost city in the United States. Huh? Yeah. Just think, a few weeks ago, we were in sunny California, and here we are on the rock-bound coast of Maine. Yes, ma'am. Boy, what a walk. <laughs> we didn't walk, we took the train. But you know, Mary, the way we've been traveling lately, we're gypsies. Regular gypsies. That reminds me. I wish you'd quit playing your fiddle every time we stop off at a railroad station. <laughs> oh, the few pennies I pick up hardly pay for the rosin. <laughs> Forget it. And dangling Dennis Day out of the window on a string. Never mind. People know he's not a monkey. Well, as long as Dennis believes it, that's all that's necessary. Here comes the kid now. Hello, Dennis. Boy, am I sick of peanuts. That's it, Dennis. Tip your little red hat. And listen, kid, you don't have to live on peanuts. While you're up here in Maine, eat seafood. Seafood is what this place is famous for. Well, personally, I think they overdo it a little. What do you mean? Well, I ordered breakfast this morning, and the waiter brought me an order of clam and eggs. Well, that's what I mean. Everything is seafood here. Yesterday was my birthday, and they brought me a codfish cake with a candle on it. What? I don't care much for codfish, but the candle was delicious. Well, Dennis, I didn't know yesterday was your birthday. Why didn't you give me a hint and I'd have gotten you a present? Well, gee, I wrote you a note and went up to your room at the Banger House and pinned it onto your pillow. Oh, was that your note? I thought it was from the chambermaid and I sent her a bottle of perfume. <laughs> uh, channel number five. That's Chanel number five. This was Channel. It came straight from the Penobscot River. <laughs> Anyway, Dennis, when I go shopping tomorrow, I'll get you something for your birthday. Now, what do you want? Would a gold wristwatch be asking too much? Yes. 
And now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Dennis Day will sing... Go away, kid. Go away. Uh, Dennis Day will sing a delightful number written by Cole Porter called the... Come in. Uh, special delivery for Jack Benny. Uh, take it, Mary. Wait a minute, bud. Here's a tip for you. Oh, boy, a nickel. Now I can call up my wife and tell her to get that man out of the house. I knew he'd appreciate it. Who's the letter from, Mary? Uh, let's see. Uh, F-I-L. It's from Phil Harris. Oh, good old Phil. Boy, he's in the Merchant Marine now. Uh, what does he say, Mary? Uh, dear Jackson, here I am in the Navy, and I can't tell you how much good it has done me. Well. Remember those bags I used to have under my eyes? Well, they gave me a cap that was too big, and now you can't see them. You must be the picture of health from the nose up. <laughs> my work here is almost the same as when I was a band leader, except that I have a much longer baton, and there's a mop on the end of it. <laughs> Scrubbing the floor, eh? Frank Remley, my guitar player, is going to make a wonderful sailor. He has finally learned how to salute without sticking his thumb in his eye. I knew he'd make good. Uh, no more news, Jackson, but before I close, I want to thank you very much for that cigarette you sent me. Hmm. Um, me and the boys enjoyed it very much. What's he talking about? I sent him a whole package of cigarettes. Happy New Year and love to the whole gang from Barnacle Phil the Sailor. And if you're listening in, Phil, Happy New Year to you and all the boys at Catalina. Okay, let's have your song, Dennis. Oh, uh -huh. 
you'd be so nice to come home to sung by Dennis Day. And very good, Dennis. Thanks, Mr. Benny. And I want to dedicate that number to a very sweet girl I met at the Peacock Room last night. Betty Lou Bumgarter. If you remember, Dennis, I introduced you to Miss Bumgarter. I met her first. What do you mean you met her first? You were both sitting at a table and she came over and took your order. I'm not talking about the waitress. I mean the beautiful girl Dennis and I danced with. And what a dress she had on. Wow! Well, it was a rather daring outfit. One of those strapless evening gowns. I got so nervous I made her put on my suspenders. <laughs> yes, Dodo, when you got up to dance with her, your pants fell down. <laughs> anyway, Dennis, you owe me for half the dinner. What about the cab fare for taking Betty Lou home? I ought to pay half of that, too. Uh, no, no, Dennis. If you remember, you didn't ride with us. I, uh, I took Betty Lou home alone. Oh, yeah? That wasn't a spare tire hanging on the back, brother. What? Were you peeking through that window, Dennis? I never saw so much kissing in all my life. Now, wait a minute, young man. I never kissed Betty Lou once. I mean the cab driver after you fell asleep. <laughs> oh, so that's why he wouldn't take a tip. Well, anyway, kid, we'll straighten out what you owe me later. Now, where's Abe Lyman? It's about time for a number. Here. I've been looking all over for Abe, and he doesn't seem to be around. That's funny. He knows the program starts at 7 o'clock. You'd think that... Oh, after... here he is now. Hiya, Jack. Sorry I'm late. Hello, fellas. I was wondering why you weren't around, Abe. Where you been? Well, it took me a long time to get here. I'm living over in Bath, a hundred miles away. You're living in Bath, Maine? Yeah, I got a room in Bath like you told me to. <laughs> I told you to get a room and bath. And, and. I met at the Bangor House of the Penobscot Exchange. Well, ain't I the big jerk? You... <laughs> You certainly are. <laughs> Believe me, from now on when we're traveling around, I'm going to write everything down on a piece of paper and give it to you. Who'll he get to read it to him? <laughs> oh, Abe can read. He can write a little, too. Say, Abe, how do you like it up here in Maine? Swell. You know, I've never been here before. Well, it doesn't take him long to get acquainted. Get a load of those three girls he brought to the show. Where, where, where? Where till I get my glasses? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, standing in the wings. Yeah, I like that tall one there. Hello, honey. Hi, sweetheart. What's that? That's the electrician. The girls are on the other side. <laughs> oh. oh, yes, yes. Three girls. Yeah, well, I got to hand it to you, Abe. You're a regular Casanova. Casanova? Yeah. Say, is that Lou Nova's brother? Yes, yes. <laughs> In a way, only Casanova was more of a wrestler than a boxer, you know? Anyway, Abe, isn't it a thrill for all of us to be broadcasting way down east in Maine? Maine in the wintertime, with its snow-covered hills, its rivers frosted by Mother Nature, and snowflakes fluttering down on the peaceful countryside. Ah, you're right, Jack. And there's only one thing more beautiful than snowflakes fluttering down from the sky. What's that, Don? Great nuts flakes fluttering from the big 12-ounce economy-sized package. Hmm. And everybody loves them, Jack, because they contain iron, niacin, and vitamin B1. 
Snowflakes? No, grape nut flakes. Oh, 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 I see. And I tell you, Jack, it's a real thrill when you wake up in the morning, rush over to close the window, and feel them beating against your face. Grape nut flakes? No, snowflakes. Oh, 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 of course, snowflakes. And when you jump into your clothes and rush downstairs, what do you find waiting for you on the breakfast table? A nice big bowl. And what's in that bowl? Fish flakes. I mean, snowflakes. I mean, grape nut flakes. I'll get fired for this. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, a bowl of toasty brown sweet as a nut grape nut flakes. Thirty years in show business, and I had to make a mistake like that. Play, Lyman. Thank heaven I got a little chicken farm in Waukegan. <laughs> Stein song played by Abe Lyman and his orchestra and with a vocal chorus by everybody in the audience. Boy, could we have used Rudy Valley tonight. <laughs> Say, before I forget it, tomorrow night you and your band and our whole gang are giving a show for the boys at the Boston Navy Yard. Tomorrow night? I thought you were all going to stay up here and go bear hunting tomorrow. No, no, I went bear hunting yesterday. Had a lot of fun, too. Fun? <laughs> Tell him what happened. Tell him what happened. Tell him what happened. Uh. Nobody's interested. Oh, I am, Mary. Now, tell us all about it. Well. Oh. Well, it seems that Jack promised Miss Baumgarter a new fur coat. I did not. So he bought a gun and went out to bag a bear for his bag. <laughs> she's not a bag. She's very cute. She got better looking legs than Lieutenant Olson. <laughs> I heard about that, fellas. <laughs> Go ahead, Barry. Anyway, Friday afternoon, Dennis, Jack, Rochester, and myself drove up to Guernsey's Winter Sports Lodge, and the next morning, must have been about 5 a.m., I heard the alarm clock ringing in Jack's room. 
Holy smoke, it's five o'clock already. Mr. Benny, wake up. Wake up, Mr. Benny, wake up. As President of the United States, I hereby promise Hetty... Oh, hello. <laughs> hello, Dennis. What's the matter? If you want to go out bear hunting, we better get started. Yeah. Gee, it's chilly this morning. I bet it's below zero in here. You sure look funny, Mr. Benny. The cold cream is all froze to your face. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've been varnished. Well, I might as well take my morning shower. A shower? There isn't any hot water. What do I care? I can take it. Well, here goes. I tell you, Dennis. There's nothing like a cold shower to wake you up in the morning. When are you going to get underneath it, Mr. Benny? I wouldn't get under that thing for a million dollars. Well, that's that. Come on, kid. I'm hungry. Let's go out to the kitchen and have breakfast. Anyway, fellas, after breakfast, Jack went over to Rochester's room. Had an awful time getting him away. You could hear Jack yelling at the top of his voice. Rochester! Hey, Rochester! <laughs> Come on, Rochester, we gotta get going. <clears throat> Rochester, wake up! <clears throat> what time is it, sugar? <laughs> Five thirty, and it's me. Now kick those blankets off and get your clothes on. I ain't had my clothes off since we left California. <laughs> well then, get up. And listen, what's the idea of wearing those earmuffs in bed? That's so I don't have to look all over my ears in the morning. <laughs> now Rochester, quit stalling. I'll give you just three to get out of that bed. One, two. Three. <laughs> Rochester! <laughs> if you don't get up right away, I'm going to put you under a cold shower. That does it. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I thought so. Now, hurry up. We're all waiting for you. We'll get started in a few minutes, Mary. Now, where's that Indian guide? He should be here by now. What do you want a guide for? Because they know where the hunting's good. They're leading me right to the bear and the moose and the ducks. I'd sure like to get a mess of ducks. How can you have the heart to shoot a duck when you walk like one? Naturally, I... I walk a little funny. I'm wearing snowshoes. That must be our guide now. Come in. Well... <laughs> well... Well, hello there. You Blanham Indian guide? That's right. What's your name? Why, me chief Leaping Goose. <laughs> How? How? Dee do. Now, look, uh... 
Now look, uh, Leaping Goose. How many strings of beads you want them for being guides? No beads, brother. Strictly cash. All right, I'll give you $5. Well, we might as well get started. Hand me those two sweaters, Mary. Two more? You've got on eight already. Well, it's cold. My teeth were chattering all night. Well, why didn't you keep them in your mouth where it's warm? <laughs> Don't be funny. Hand me that uh, sweater, Dennis. Here you are. Gee, this is a pretty sweater. Where'd you get it, Mr. Benny? It's one uh, Lana Turner wore in a picture. I admired it, and she sent it to me. Well, somehow on you, it doesn't thrill me. <laughs> Not supposed to thrill you. Now, where's that Rochester? Oh, Rochester! Yes, boy! <laughs> if you don't hurry, we're going without you. I'll be here when you come back with a candle in the window! <laughs> you get out here! Well, come on, Leaping Goose. Let's get our... <laughs> leaping Goose. Let's get our equipment together. Oh, boy, we're going bear hunting. Gee, we've been walking through the snow for three hours. Hey, Leaping Goose, we haven't seen a bear or a moose or anything. Leaping Goose... Much embarrassed. His face very red. Well, of course it's red. You're an Indian. Oh. I know how to get a moose. Now quiet, everybody. Gosh, what's that? That's the mating call of the wild moose. Are you going to marry a moose, Mr. Benny? <laughs> no, I want to shoot one. There are a lot of them around. Well, what do you want to shoot a moose for? He wants to get a hat rack the hard way. I want to get a bear. That's what I want. Now, stick close to me, Mary. Okay. You too, Dennis. Yes, sir. And Rochester. Rochester, keep up with us. I don't want you to get lost in this snow. Who, me? Just stay near us, that's all. Say, Mr. Benny, what's that? What's what? That little animal sitting on the log over there. Well, I'll be darned. It's a mink. I think that's a skunk, Jack. It is not a skunk. Oh, boss, inhale! <laughs> Well, I'll be darned. Run, fellas, run for your lives. Hey, you know what? That really was a skunk. You're telling me. Walk behind us, Dennis. Way behind. <laughs> hey, Leaping Goose, uh, when are you going to find a bear for us? Look, Pale Face, here come man in fur coat. Maybe he help us. Yeah, he might at that. Hey, mister, can you tell us where we can find a... a, uh, a... Man in a fur coat. That's a bear! What's the matter with you? Now stand back, everybody. I'm going to advance and shoot Oh, be careful, Jack. Boy, it's a big one. I'm going to let him have it right between his eyes. You mean between your eyes. Turn that gun around. Oh, my goodness. Now watch me get him. Watch out, boss. You're getting too close. I don't want to miss him. Here goes. Ready? Aim. Well, I'll be... Now listen, Bear. Give me back my gun. Give it back, I say. Pick him up, Mr. Benny. He's got you covered. I've got my hands up. Now, listen, Bear. I didn't come out here to shoot you. I was after a moose. I want to get a hat rack. You got to believe me. Please don't shoot. I'm too young to die. And besides, I'm out of season. You can't do it, I tell you. You can't do it. Now, don't shoot. Don't shoot. 
We've all had a great time up here in Maine. I want to thank Governor Sewell, City Manager Farnsworth, Colonel Valentine, and all the boys at Dow Field. Say, Mary, before we leave for Boston tomorrow, let's go ice fishing. Ice fishing? Yeah, it's a great sport around here. You cut a hole in the ice, drop in your line with a hook on it, and catch a fish. Anything over a half a pound, it'll pull you right in. Yeah, I guess so. Good night, folks. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1943 broadcast from Dowell Field in Bangor, Maine, featuring Jack Benny. And we remind you that WSHDLP Eastport is a non-commercial station and does not endorse any product. Well, we're not done with 1943 Maine yet. We hear next a 1943 episode of Suspense, The Diary of Sophronia Winters, a chilling radio drama set in Maine. This is the man in black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Our stars tonight are Miss Agnes Moorhead and Mr. Ray Collins. We have seen these two expert and resourceful players in Citizen Kane, The Magnificent Amberson, in which Miss Moorhead's performance won her the 1942 Film Critics Award. Mr. Collins will soon be seen in the Metro-Golden-Mayer Technicolor film, Salute to the Marines. Miss Moorhead and Mr. Collins return this evening to their first love, the CBS microphone, to appear in a study in terror by Lucille Fletcher called The Diary of Sophronia Winters. The story told by this diary is tonight's tale of suspense. If you've been with us on these nights, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so it is with the diary of Sophronia Winters and the performances of Agnes Moorhead and Ray Collins, we again hope to keep you in suspense. February 1st, St. Petersburg, Florida. I, Sophronia Winters, have hereby begun this diary because on this date I feel for the first time that I've begun to live. Diaries are no good unless one has thrilling experiences. For 40 years, I've never had what could really be called a thrilling experience. But Papa's death has changed everything. Here I am in beautiful St. Petersburg with everything to start life anew, money in my purse, two suitcases full of new clothes, and a gorgeous new permanent wave. And Florida is really the land of romance. It doesn't matter whether you're 17 or 70. There are parties and dances and bingo games and flirtations for all. My landlady, in fact, tells me that people often become engaged and even married to perfect strangers overnight. 
I'm still shy, of course, but just the same. It's such fun and so thrilling to think one's fate may be just around the corner. February 3rd. Oh, diary, it is beginning. This morning when I came out of my lodging house to go down to the beach, I noticed a man, a thrilling-looking man, sitting across the street on a bench. It was just as though he were waiting for me, because when I came out, he sort of started up as though he knew me. Of course, I didn't speak first, but I knew the minute I started down the street that he was following me. Well, I got to the beach and sat down with my magazines, and suddenly there he was, strolling toward me with a broad smile. Well... Sitting out here all by your lonesome? Oh, yes, yes, I am. Didn't I see you last night over at the Starfish Tea Room? The Starfish Tea Room? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, yes, I was there yesterday. But it was so crowded, I'm afraid I don't recall. Mighty nice cuisine they've got over there. Uh, mind if I sit down beside you? Oh, not at all. Oh, oh just a minute. Uh, sit on this magazine. The beach is so sandy. Oh, sand doesn't bother me. I'm from Maine, you know. We get plenty of sand up there. Do you? You've been down here at St. Pete long? Oh, just three days. Three days? That's a long time. It's a wonder I didn't spot you before. Oh, Mr. Uh, Johnson's the name, Hiram Johnson. Oh. I come from Green Harbor, Maine. Run a big hotel up there, Summers. Oh. Well, that's my whole history in a nutshell. My name's Sophronia. Sophronia Winters. Sophronia? Uh-huh. Well, you know, that's quite a coincidence. My sister-in-law's name was Sophronia. Oh? Sophronia Johnson. You ever heard of her? She looked quite a bit like you, too. Sophronia Johnson? No, I'm afraid I haven't. Who was she? Someone very famous? <laughs> I'm so ignorant about these things. Oh, that's all right. Say, look at that sun, will you? I'd say it was pretty nearly time for lunch. And Diary, darling, he is wonderful. Strong and kind, warm-hearted. So generous. I don't want to be like the other silly women in this town, but Hiram is different. There's, there's something almost poetic about him, something sad and, and deep. You know, Sophronia, it's kind of mysterious, us finding that nine-point starfish on the beach together. My sister-in-law, Sophronia, used to collect nine-point starfishes. And to think your name, Sophronia, and you find a nine-point starfish with me. Well, it kind of draws us together, eh? Huh? What do you think? As though I'd known him all my life. My landlady says it's foolish. But look at Romeo and Juliet. Weren't they foolish? What's the good of waiting, Sophronia? I've got to be back at the hotel in a week. We, we may never see each other again. Oh, Hiram, don't say that. I, I couldn't bear it. Then let's do it right away. Tomorrow... There's a parson out on Coral Avenue who'll do the job for us. We can take a nice moonlight drive out to the alligator farm afterward, have a nice shore dinner, then climb on board the orange blossom tomorrow night for Maine. Oh. Just think of Maine. The big dark pine woods, the sand, the bay. The two of us alone together. The two of us alone together. February 7th, on board the Orange Blossom. I was married in a wedding dress of Alice Blue Moiré with a frill of white organdy at the collar and wrists and a rhinestone belt buckle. Hiram sent me talisman roses. I'm pressing one precious flower between the pages of this diary for luck. You see, at the 
understand in a couple of minutes. Uh, bags heavy? No, not particularly, dearest. Oh, I can't get over that taxi manifestation. Imagine his insolence, saying he couldn't drive us over. <laughs> Maybe he didn't have any gas. It happens sometimes around here. Well, anyway, I'm glad the weather's so mild. Can you imagine what it would be like in a blizzard? There's the place. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want to look until I put down these bags. <sighs> now, where? There. Through those big pine trees. Oh. Oh, it is big, isn't it? 125 rooms. So many fire escapes and balconies and porches and towers. I uh, I stayed in a hotel like that once years ago with Papa. It was very fashionable there. My grandfather built that place 50 years ago. Hasn't been changed much since. No? Well, of course, you've put in modern plumbing. Not yet. Here we are. Walk in. Oh, what's that? Just a foghorn out in the bay. Fog? We get it almost every night in this kind of weather. What are you locking the gate for? Why not? There's nobody coming in after us. Or going out again for a while. But I, I thought you said the hotel. The hotel's empty. Hiram. What is it now? Hiram, darling, I know it sounds silly, but but let's not go in there tonight. Let's let's wait until morning. Why? Oh, just because it's so dark and empty, there's not a light in the whole place, and no one's expecting us. What do we eat? Where will we sleep? Let's stay in the village just for tonight. I've got things to eat and a place to sleep. Come on. Oh, my arm. Hiram. Hiram. Do you remember my telling you down in Florida about my sister-in-law, Sophronia? Well, that's her over there on the wall. Take a look at her. Hiram, you hurt me. Oh, well, this glass is very dusty. She must have died many years ago. But her face is sweet, very sweet. And her eyes, it, there's something very sad and wistful about her eyes. She was a murderess. She was hanged in Portland 25 years ago for the murder of my brother Ephraim here in the lobby of this hotel. She murdered him in cold blood with an axe. That fire axe hanging over there on the wall. Hiram. It was a summer day. There were guests sitting out on the front porch in the rockers. It was just after lunch. My brother Ephraim was sitting at the desk counting his loose change. My mother was crocheting in that old wicker rocking chair. Sphronia came downstairs humming a hymn. Oh, don't, Hiram. Please, please don't tell me any more. Why not? Well, it makes me nervous to hear it like this in this big shadowy lobby. And, and your eyes, Hiram. Your eyes. Hiram, you're acting so strange. Hiram, what's the matter with you, dear? I, I know it was a terrible tragedy, but it happened 25 years ago. Don't touch me, Sophronia. Don't touch you. Do you remember what I said to you in Florida? What did you say? Well, you, you said a million sweet and wonderful things to me, Hiram. I said you resembled my dead sister-in-law. Look at her again. Look at her closely. Sophronia. But why? Oh, no, no, I can't. It's too horrible. I can't look at her face with any pleasure now, knowing she was a murderess. You're afraid to look at it? No, no, I'm not afraid. Hiram! Hiram, please, my arm! Oh, very well. Hello. Now, stand there quietly. Like that. Take off your glasses. Uh, 
That's all I wanted to see. That's all I wanted to see. February 13th, Green Harbor Hotel, Maine. I can't understand it. I try to fathom it, but my head aches and my heart is heavy. The hotel is deserted. Has been for 25 years. Everything is covered with spiders and cobwebs. Great dining room with its oak woodwork is alive with rats. And the row of broken rocking chairs on the front porch faces emptily out to sea. Does he mean this to be my home? He's downstairs in the shabby parlor, off the lobby, playing the harmonium. Birches are standing. It's where my sister-in-law, Sophronia, was laid away 25 years ago. It was the biggest funeral in the neighborhood. Folks crowded outside the gate with the dozens trying to get a look, but we wouldn't let them. Buried her ourselves without a service out here by herself on the grounds. Ephraim is buried in town, but not Sophronia. I had a feeling I'd have to keep an eye on her even then. Keep an eye on her? I knew she was one of those restless sleepers who wouldn't stay quiet in her own grave. I knew before the year was out she'd find some way to start roaming around, hunting for mischief again. She was a young she-devil to the core, Sophronia. And they could hang her till doomsday. Wouldn't do any good. You mean... You mean he... You think she haunts this hotel? No, no, not this hotel. She never had any use for it, alive or dead. No. She makes for the warmer climates. She was always a cold-blooded little fish, freezing and shivering all the time. Places like California and Texas and Florida, she makes for. Florida? Yes, that's one of her favorite haunts, particularly around St. Pete. She likes the flowers and the sun and the romance. Hiram, I feel cold. Do you mind if I go inside Just now? a minute, just a minute. I, I haven't explained everything. You think I'm crazy, I guess. Crazy. But I'm a lot smarter than some people give me credit for. Because, you see, I have found her now. Three times. Do you see that grove of birches over there? Under every one of them's a grave. I found her wandering the earth in disguise three times. And I've killed her three times. Mm. It still doesn't do any good. She's still restless. You... You mean 
You've killed three different women? So now I keep another open grave to remind her. It's waiting now. Would you like to see it, Sophronia? No, Hiram. No, no, please, I... Are you afraid to see it, Sophronia? No, I... Hiram, you don't mean to say that you think... Just because my name happens to be Sophronia and that, that I look a little like... Think what, Sophronia? Nothing. February 14th. My mind is made up. I made a terrible mistake and I must get away from this place. I must get away from Hiram as quickly as I can. <laughs> it should be easy. There's no fog today. If I can only escape from the hotel, I can run and hide in the pine woods. No. No. I shall wait for dusk when he generally sits down in the parlor and plays the harmonium. <coughs> I can hide a little earlier in one of the deserted rooms and, and, and then when his back is toward the lobby, step out the front door. anything outside, did you? Because if you do, you'll have to ask me to get it for you. You see, I always keep the front door locked. Yes, Hiram. Yes, the back door, too. And all the doors leading out into the porches and fire escapes. And a good many of the windows. It makes one feel safe from thieves and peeping toms. Oh, you've got a cold. That's too bad. Yes. I must have caught it last night. Outdoors. Damn. You ought to be in bed. A good bed. The only good bed in the house is in my sister-in-law, Sophronia's old room. No, no, Hiram. Uh, I'm all right. Is, is this a little head cold? Oh, little head colds <laughs> often develop into pneumonia. Why, it's too bad I didn't think of that before. You might have slept in it from the beginning. Here, up these stairs. What? What's the matter? Are you so weak? No. No, I'm all right. This room... Is the cleanest in the hotel, too. I've always had a sort of suspicion about it. You see, I've kept everything as it was. What's the matter? Nothing. Nothing. It's just... It seems kind of familiar. No, no, no. It, it's just that seeing it so clean, seeing it as though someone were living here, as, as, as though they it only just stepped out for a moment. It's as she left it that afternoon when she walked down to murder my brother. You see her needlework on the table with the needle sticking in it? And her hymn book still open? She was very fond of singing hymns, Sophronia was. Had a nice voice, too. I used to accompany her. Uh, I'll turn down the bed for you. Then you can get undressed while I go and make you some hot tea. No, I don't want any. Here's the closet. You can put on one of Sophronia's dressing gowns. Diary, I'm beside myself. I shall go mad. I shall go mad. Two hours of pack and see locked the door upon me. Night's fallen and I'm alone. Alone in this 
horrible room with its hideous little mementos of death. I, I'm sitting here at her little wicker table trying to be calm, trying to write this. Somehow, when one writes about a thing, it, it doesn't appear so real. My hand is just brushed against her needlework. Her hymn book, where they still lie, waiting. I can bear having them near me no longer. I must get them out of sight, anywhere. In that closet, a bureau. Ready for your tea? No. Uh, yes, Hiram. Why aren't you in bed? You'll take worse colds, you know. I'll get in bed in a minute. Uh, first, oh. I... Oh. Brushing up on your needlework again? My needlework? You've got it in your hand. Have I? Oh, oh yes. Yes, so I... Uh... But I, I wasn't working on it, Hiram. I swear I wasn't. I, I, I've never done a stitch of needlework in my whole life. I don't know one embroidery stitch from another. Let me show you. Look, I don't even know how to hold a needle. Get into bed, Sophronia. You're feverish. Before we go on, Hiram, before you go on thinking, I, I, we've got to have an understanding. You've got to let me explain. I, I, I was born in 1892 in Kalamazoo, Michigan. My name is Sophronia. That's true, but they name lots of people Sophronia. I, I, I was named for my grandmother. She had just died. No, no, no. You've got to listen to me. I've lived in Kalamazoo all my life. If you'd only just write a letter or send a wire. Why? I've never heard of Green Harbor in my whole life. I, I never went anywhere. For almost ten years, I stayed home day in and day out nursing Papa. He had, he had a stroke. I wasn't out of the house. It was a red brick house in the green shutters. February 15th. Now I live only from moment to moment listening to each creak upon the stairs. <coughs> I've been in bed all day. It's night now. The foghorn has begun to blow again. February 19th. I, I woke up early this morning after a wretched night and, and the date was burning in letters of fire in my brain. If he's planning to kill me, it'll be today. But the hours have been crawling on. It's almost midnight. Oh, why, if he's going to kill me, doesn't he do it at once? Why does he torture me like this? I'd rather be dead than sit here in this room one moment longer. I can't bear it. If he doesn't come in five minutes, I shall force him to come. I shall beat on the door. No. No. Rather let me sit quiet praying that he doesn't come. Oh, I want to live. I want to live. Sophronia! It's come. Sophronia! Come downstairs. I want you to sing me a hymn. Sing? Sing? He, he never asked me to sing for him before. But she sang. I... I can't sing, dear. I, I told you that long ago. Did you? Well, I've forgotten. And besides, how can I come downstairs when my door is locked? It's unlocked. Try it. Unlocked. Oh, no. How could it? Oh. 
is, and I never know it. I never know it. <clears throat> Coming? He unlocked it. Sometime while I was just sitting, oh, why didn't I try a few more times? Why did I just sit there assuming? No. No, he'd have caught me anyway. He'd have known. But I might Oh, now it's too late. He's going to kill me. Sophronia. Yes, Hiram. I'm coming. Hiram, where are you? In here. In the parlor. What are you doing there, Hiram? Waiting to hear you sing. You're at the harmonium? Yes. All right. I'll sing. I haven't sung in years, but I might as well. I'll sing for you out here in the hall. My voice will carry better. It always did carry better in the hall, didn't it, Sophronia? So you remember that, too. Of course, you know both the front and back doors are locked. Play a few bars, Hiram, dear, to warm me up. Shall I sing, too, Sophronia? Would you like me to sing along with you? If it pleases you, Hiram. Work for the night is coming. Work in the morning sun. Work for the night is coming. When man's work is done. Work while the day Shall, shall I read it to you? Yes. Yes, go ahead. March 22nd. I've been sick, I think, for a very long time. The pages of my diary are blank, but I shall take you out again, poor diary, today and start you over again. No. No, I shall never look back at the other pages. I shall only write on and on about this beautiful place so that no one reading this diary will ever know that I did it. <laughs> but I did do it, diary. I was smarter than he. When I opened that door at the head of the stairs and heard the music, when I saw the fire axe still hanging on the wall. <laughs> oh, I was so cautious. 
so terribly cautious. I tiptoed like a little mouse, even as I sang the hymn into that room where he was playing. But I was clever, so much cleverer than he. I kept on singing. And now I'm free. Free as a bird. I'm free and he shall never catch me now, not this time or ever again, because... Because he's dead. Isn't he, nurse? Nurse, isn't my dear brother-in-law, Hiram, really dead? Yes, miss, he's dead. And now I'll thank you to hand me that diary. The doctor doesn't approve of the patient's writing anything. And so closes the diary of Sophronia Winter, starring Agnes Moorhead and Ray Collins, tonight's tale of Suspense. This is your narrator, the man in black, the producer of these broadcasts is William Spear, who with Ted Bliss, the director, Lud Gluskin, the musical director, Lucian Mohawick, the composer, and Lucille Fletcher, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. tuned to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1943 episode of Suspense, entitled The Diary of Sophronia Winters, by literary luminary Lucille Fletcher. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of Around the World's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week. Joan Loudon, a.k.a. The Bass Lady, inviting you to join me every Wednesday from 3 to 4.30 p.m. for The Bass Lady Presents. With a different weekly theme from jazz to Celtic, from Newgrass to New Orleans, it's always a mix of great music. That's every Wednesday from 3 to 4.30 with a repeat airing on Saturdays from 4 to 5.30 p.m. right here on 93.3 FM, W-S-H-D-L-P Eastport, Maine I'm all about that base. Hey, have I got a radio show for you Old Coasting comes at you twice a week Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4 Right here on W-S-H-D-L-P in Eastport, Maine 93.3 FM On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music uh, We like to talk about it a little bit, too it's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. You kids can ask your parents what that means. 
Mad Pad. Mad Pad. Tune in every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, take this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. Listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you miss the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz, but by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP Eastport. Eastport. 